I'm Janine. You're watching Outside the Box. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Robert Eiler and David McEwen. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. So Robert, let's start with you. I'm going to have you both introduce yourselves, but uh, tell us about your role at Sonoma State. Sure. Uh, my name is Rob Eiler. I'm the Dean of our School of Extended and International Education, which means that I kind of oversee all the extended university programs we have that include degree programs, workforce training programs, uh, some degree programs otherwise with uh, summer involved and winter involved, and then ultimately our, uh, our OSHA program for senior folks. That's great. And what about you, Dave? Is it Dave uh, or David? Oh, it doesn't matter. Either okay. one's fine. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm easy going about it. All right. uh, David McEwen, I'm the chair in the Department of Political Science, and I teach in two areas, uh, American politics, international relations. Uh, I do a lot of stuff on campaigns and also in political violence, terrorism. I also work with the media quite a bit. So I work with anywhere from six to 15 political reporters a day across the world, uh, talking to them about stories. Not all of that is always for attribution. A lot of that is off the record or uh, talking to them about how they're packaging a story or what they're doing. A lot of that obviously is focused on the 2020 elections here in November. Got it. Okay. So I brought you both together because I wanted to get a sense of your opinion as far as, you know, the idea of the series is people are out of work. Millions of people, as you know, are out of work. What can someone do if they don't have the option of working remotely and they have to start a new gig remotely? What are some suggestions you have for finding work? Well, I think two things, just from an economic standpoint, one thing I didn't say is I'm an economist and a professor of economics at Sonoma State, so uh, I do that as well as the dean's piece. Uh, thinking about the next step, a lot of people may look at higher education from anything from certificate programs on up to new degrees with the idea they want to make a career transition at this time in which they're receiving unemployment insurance and in a transition in their lives. So that's certainly one thing we will see some of. The other pieces I think we're going to see is people actually just basically moving on to another career, maybe without education change, but looking at both a change in geography mm -hmm. and a potential change in industry, especially if there's been structural change to the industry they leave behind. Okay. So I, I think there's a couple of things that folks can do during this time to take advantage of the tenor of the times. One of those things, for example, is young people have a tendency to text and not develop their phone skills or their online presence. So I think taking some type of self-assessment of what are your skills, what works for you, what doesn't work for you is important. And I'll give you some examples. What I teach my students often is think about your verbal presence, your vo visual presence, and your vocal presence. How well these, th these three V's come across are very important for not only, say, giving a presentation or for talking to people uh, in a prospective job interview, but also kind of a sense of your own assessment and worth of yourself and what you're offering. And then I couple those three V's with be solution-oriented, not problem-oriented. Rob is a dean and myself as a chair in political science. People come to us with all kinds of problems all the time. And it's really important for employers and for those who potentially could hire you or be your friends, coworkers, whatever it is, that you be solution oriented and not problem oriented. So I think kind of stepping back at this time and assessing your skills and determining what works for you and what doesn't work for you would be a really good exercise at this time. That's excellent advice. I actually have been taking this class online through Yale, uh, The Science of Wellbeing with Dr. Lori Santos. I don't know, you probably have heard of it. 
So she talks about character strengths. And one of the things that stuck out for me when I'm going to add to what you just said is find out what your strengths are. So mine are number one, curiosity, humor, and creativity, and try to find things that tap into those areas for a career. Yeah. And I think that Often students think of things as, as problems or challenges or those that are going to be retrained or say have been in a job for 20 years and now they're out of work and have to completely mm-hmm. shift. Uh, a lot, Rob sees a lot of these students uh, through his school. And so I think taking a really critical self-assessment, but also being kind to yourself during that time. What do you do well or not do well? And, mm-hmm. and if you don't do well on the phone because you don't talk to people, practice, develop that presence and be kind to yourself. I think this is an opportunity where taking advantage of the tenor of the times, being challenged and talking about those challenges, to, not as a problem set, but as a way you develop solutions could be really helpful. Now, I think one of the things you also have to do is you have to, from our angle, is providing those kind of tools, so analogous to what you're doing at Yale, to do it on the street for folks that may not have access to the same array of, let's say, you know, self-training that we do is to make sure that those tools are available for people to really do that assessment relatively quickly, but be, be introspective when they do it in such a way that say, wow, okay, maybe I can do this. So linking what you can do with those skills to what skills you have quickly also helps people sort of jump into that solution phase because the problem phase, especially if you're part of a group where most people have lost their jobs and the, let's say the 30 to 60 day outlook is relatively grim, mentality of jumping into that sort of 90 day mentality is very is is tricky without some quick way of sort of motivating you and i think that's one of the biggest challenges as we go into recession anytime uh is try to get a labor force that remains motivated to stay available for work yes if you think about it it's a different kind of mindset because you're trying to highlight what you bring as opposed to talking about what a job or a new set of training what it does for you. So rather than having what it does for you, highlight what you bring to the table. I think that's very helpful. And that's where those kind of visual, verbal, and vocal kind of improvements or those skill sets can be really helpful. I feel like now is the time for people to really know they need to be resilient because life is filled with ambiguity and we're living it. And this is the opportunity to really, really grow, to learn things. As you said, work on your phone skills, I mean, now, you know, people are asking me to jump on Zoom calls. There's no (laughs) texting and emojis and there's immediately face-to-face, get it together and how are you going to present yourself as you said, David? Yeah, I, I think also, as you think about this, oftentimes we think about challenges or difficulties or, or we get down on ourselves and, and, and Rob's advice kind of to pace yourself and to think about this in kind of the middle term or medium term and long term is particularly important because this, the recession conditions could linger for a little bit. Our politics are very divisive, getting caught up in the negativity or being, you know, shut-ins as we all are. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have to really kind of pace yourself and be upbeat, but you also have to show some reflection. So I, I work with a lot of graduate students and I, I explain to the graduate students that some of the best lessons we have about politics and policy are from failures, policy failures or externalities or things that have gone wrong in, in Rob's training. And so everything that goes bad is actually a great opportunity to learn what works or what, you're, what can happen in a positive way. That works for our politics and I think it works today for individuals as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And the media has spun that in such a way, too. It's very easy to get sucked into that vortex. So David's 100% correct. You really got to have a mentality where you're going to, in a sense, balance yourself against what is this sort of rolling negativity and start learning from it and 
thinking forward, but it's very tricky as human beings to pull that off. It sure is because we want to get sucked into the news and listen and watch. And it's, it's easy internally. It's, it's kind of toxic. It, it is. I mean, and, and, and if you think about our politics or if you think about, you know, young people that live up in, in our area, they've been uh, the victims of a of couple sets of fires. Uh, we all have. That's affected the housing market, the labor market. You have these upheavals and these ups and downs. And, and regardless of what you think about our politics, the polarization and division is very difficult. And, and what's happening daily gets just bombards folks. So you have to have kind of a half full mentality about yourself and what you can do to improve and to stay positive and to really build from those challenges. I mean, we learn from failure. So we often talk about engineers trying to engineer themselves out of a problem. Well, we engineer ourselves up, I think, and kind of move forward in some ways to, to build a better set of skills based upon the challenges that we have. That would be very helpful. And that works whether you're 22, 52, whatever it is. You bet. I have a mantra. I wrote this book called Get the Funk Out. This is an aside. Get the funk out. Bleep happens. What to do next? My mantra is sometimes the worst thing that happens to you turns out to be the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to see it like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, I try to teach students, look, there are three fundamental rules in American politics. Fiscal stress, never enough money uh, in the public space. So your pocketbook is never going to be what you want it to be. That's framed by uncertainty. As scientists, we study uncertainty and we're familiar with it, but most people aren't. And then the third category is discretion. That's judgment. That's the best thing that we can teach our students is judgment. How do you teach that in a classroom or online or via Zoom is how you develop judgment. And that is what sets people aside in the job market. And that development of judgment is, is a maturity issue. It's, it's your maturity and approach, not just your age. And that's something I think that, that is a challenge for us moving forward. It's how to increase our ability to teach judgment or discretion. Yes. And one of the trickiest parts about this, David nailed it, is the uncertainty piece. I mean, we've been living since March 1st under such wild uncertainty about not only the evolution of the disease, but its ultimate effects on our economy and how long we're going to be in shelter in place and how long, what, what that length of time means to the greater good and also our economy and also the, just the way we socially engage uh, once we start to lift. It's going to be very intriguing to watch how people ultimately see the resolution of this and then start making adjustments because that's something also in economics and political science and economics are very tied to each other in this sense is the consistent assessment of uncertainty is really what drives a lot of policy. And that if I believe this is going to happen with some margin of error, I'm gonna try these policies because they have worked in the past under the supposition that they will work again in the future and we're under this huge amount of policy right now to try to act as a bridge over troubled water to reduce that uncertainty. And that's the game that we're all kind of playing once the, the lift of shelter in place takes place. Well, and I know people are anxious to get out and get back to work and do this and do that, but it's not like all of a sudden the virus is going to clear up and go away. Which, which then leads to a second round of uncertainty. So you're going to see as we open up, people are going to be reticent to go out per normal. Businesses are going to be unwilling to make large investments per normal or what they thought they were going to do in February because they're concerned about having this repeat happen. And so, you know, we're kind of playing this game of hoping a vaccine shows up and that can easily grind the gears of the economy to very slowly, uh, regardless of what policy is done, because of that uncertainty remains in such a shadow that's cast over the rest of this year, probably, if not part of next year. Uh, and it'll be very, again, intriguing to see if we hear more and more. For example, yesterday we heard some ideas that there was going to be a vaccine. Well, that 
sent stock markets up very quickly because it, it, the supposition is that removes just this marginal uncertainty that allows me to go back in and buy the assets I used to have. Workers are going to see that. Businesses are going to see that on the ground a little bit. But until the promise is ultimately fulfilled, there's going to be this lingering amount of uncertainty that remains as a cloud over us. And that's navigating that even at the, like, let's say, lowest wage worker level is very, very tricky. And then you add in flu season. So yeah. we have optimism and then, you know, it's yeah. scary. It can be, yeah. I, I think one thing that folks can think about, too, is they're retraining or changing their their, their skill set here is one of the things that sets aside people really is the degree to which they have a graduate degree or advanced training and it doesn't have to be a, a master's of some set well we would like that of course because we're advocates of higher education but it can be training that advances you or distinguishes you so many people are in college and have a college degree there may be some settling out of that from this pandemic but nonetheless some type of advanced training for example, uh, the ability to display data in a visual way or anything in a visual way for people who don't understand what is going on with a large set of, of information, that's a really important skill set. That works whether you're an art major or a sociology major, an economics or political science major. But, but a data visualization or the ability to display things in a comprehensive, cohesive, understandable, approachable way, that's a really good skill set regardless uh, of what direction or where you're headed. So are you saying if they jumped on an online uh, program like Udemy or Coursera or went and took a course in this? Yeah, I, I think that having an ability to really set yourself aside as what value you add to an organization and how you were oriented to those solutions, a way to display that, that you're not just sitting back. You might not have the resources or ability to jump back into a master's program, but I would argue that you need something to distinguish yourself in the medium and long term that would be a graduate degree because so many people will have a college degree. But if you're taking steps towards that, if you're increasing your understanding, particularly of your weaknesses or those things that you don't have a good skill set in, that's a really important investment in yourself that also is helpful and gives you a motivation day to day while all this garbage and uncertainty is coming at you. And I feel that when you build your knowledge and skills, you build your confidence. No, that, that's right. Absolutely. And, yeah. and then that's where those three V's come in, right? The, the, the verbal, the visual, and the vocal. You can develop that skill set because so many people are texting and into their phones and they just don't have that confidence. They know what they want, but this is also about displaying what solutions you bring to potential employers or what you've done to invest in yourself. And it kind of comes full circle. You talked earlier about skills assessment. One of the things to think about is how people are going to say, look, if the structure of my job has changed fundamentally, what skills can I do to maybe yeah. do two things? One, make myself a little bit more bulletproof to changes down the road. But second, be able to port my job wherever I want to go. So it would be very intriguing to watch how many people then go into programs, whether they be certificate programs or degree programs, in which they feel like that they're getting that, that layer of protection around them uh, you know, from, what they, from what they study to then be able to take that wherever they want to engage like this or to just bring more value add to some business otherwise and make that career shift. And one of the things we've and David probably sees this all the time too. One of the things that really is tricky is there is a math phobia out there in terms of how data, just to get to the point where you can get the data to visualize it, I got to get you to the data piece. And so one of the biggest things we've been trying to do the last 15, 20 years is trying to get people over that math phobia to then take them into things like being able to do, uh, big data projects or 
or other ways of taking what otherwise would be 100 slides in a PowerPoint down to two infographics. Though that, that skill is artistic and data to the, together. And I think some people know they have the art piece, but the math scares them. So if you can marry two people together that have the art piece and the math piece and people find each other in the labor market, that there may be some synergistic aspects of that going down the road. It'd be very intriguing to see what people actually see in their skill set and want to do because there's myriad programs out there. But to David's point, that's exactly the idea is to be very, having that skill set is something that definitely is going to pay off later for folks. So let's say uh, somebody graduates from Sonoma State or any university for that matter, and they have this degree and they realize, wow, there's very few jobs. And now I got to get online. Like, where am I going to look? What would be your advice for someone looking for work remotely right now? So I, I think there's a couple of things they can do. One is they have to think a little bit in an unorthodox fashion. The, the job they're going to get, and we know that, you, that young people, for example, move around a lot, but the job they're going to get for, say, the next couple of months may only last that period of time. It's yeah. the most temporary of temporary conditions. So, so recognizing that you're not stuck in this or there's going to be a lot of mobility. And this is where I think you have to get very serious. You have to treat your search like a job itself. You have to do this uh, day in and day out. And it means you don't flood the market with lots of resumes. You personalize the letter, you personalize the resume, you look at the skill sets. This isn't a one size fits all kind of thing. I think that's something you do. Now, obviously you hit the big places, you know, like Indeed or, or some of the big things, but you also have to target. And the way you target is you talk to people in your network that you know. You talk about the people that you admire. And I think you ask a, a very simple question. Who's been your best boss or your best manager and why? Why has that person succeeded? Because I think that goes to your kind of key point you started with, curiosity. The best thing that a student can have in our classroom or out in the job market, and I've made a payroll, I know how this works, is you must be curious. And so if you have someone who can go out and target a firm or target an industry, and at the same time of doing that, ask what works and what doesn't work, I think that's an invaluable discretionary judgment skill that demonstrates your, your commitment and your seriousness. I just want to add one, one thing, Robert. Um, I am finding that on LinkedIn, there's a lot of networking going on. And I oh, think that's a valuable place because sometimes it feels like a black hole submitting your resume. And also for somebody just graduating, tap into the alumni network yeah. mm -hmm. because they might be able to guide you or they might have a business that needs somebody remotely. There's a lot of data that shows like just shooting out a bunch of resumes gives you like a one or 2% chance, a less than 5% chance of getting an interview. But if you have somebody you can connect with or talk to through that network, the odds go up by a factor of 10. You can't beat that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I was going to say, you took the words out of my mouth a little bit, which is perfect. The LinkedIn piece, students understanding that that network has so many broad exponential effects in terms of who you can touch. Mm -hmm. It's critical to recognize that. So for, and even having just a simple website that acts like a virtual business card. So somebody can, you know, think of it this way. If you do put that resume and somebody might say, okay, I'm going to Google this person. I think about how many alumni I have that over the last 25 years, where I Google their name, I can't find them anywhere. And I say to myself, you know, what, why is this person not present? You know, and David and I are relatively visible online. If you Google us, you're going to get like 500 hits a piece. <laughs> uh, and so, but we, but we work that piece of it, knowing that that's that not only each time he and I speak or each time he and I are in the media, we, we want to make sure that that's visual for the next round. So people get that we're serious people. I think for our alumni, understanding that it is 
almost required that you have some visualization presence online, whether it's, a, and really it should be LinkedIn and a, even a simple website that has your resume downloadable at any time, but also, and this is something, David, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, students also don't get that the personal side of your life, you know, should be, you know, you getting a tattoo or you, you know, you know, <laughs> out at one o'clock in the morning at the bar, but it might be more about, you know, you being outside, your curiosity about life. You're, if you're an artist, here's some of your art. So see, somebody can see that this, these are kind of what I kind of call your passion buckets. And it's relatively obvious this is who you are beyond the black and white on the, on the resume. Yeah. And, and having those two things walking parallel allows a potential employer to say, I now know more about this person walking in and I can have a conversation rather than say, okay, tell me your experience. I can start a conversation by saying, wow, I saw your art online. Why don't you tell me about, you know, your creativity or things that you think about? You know, it just, it, it broadens a conversation for people. And also thinking about, David said this too, we're going into a, uh, a buyer's market in terms of the labor market. So what are you going to sell that puts you in niche position against thousands of, C of resumes and CVs that are going to come forward? Because I'm going to be looking at all those and saying, hey, I've got full choice because a lot of people are out of work. So you got to be very focal about the way you enter the job market or come back into it, recognizing competition has in increased quite a bit. And from five months ago, think that five months ago, we were basically at full employment. Now we're going into a situation in which we're at almost the exact opposite of that condition. If you think about it, I mean, in a comparative sense, uh, our European friends or our, 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 our friends uh, in, in Asia, when they apply for a job or they fill out a resume, they're in an interview, there's often a question about who they are and what motivates them. That kind of passion bucket that Rob is talking about, you have to be able to relate that skill, those passions to the relevance of the job. It could be a motivation to do well, to exercise judgment, whatever that is. But what about yourself? What about the whole person of you that's outside of work that builds a skill set? When you've been challenged, how have you dealt with adversity? Those questions that come up in an interview that, that people expect, but also what drives you and what builds skills. What we want are people who can build up and build up and build up. We want to build people if we're going to invest in them to see that they can step up the, the stairs. And that is something I think you have to demonstrate in this buyer's market. So for instance, how well do you handle stress? What do you do to take care of yourself? Exactly. Right. And say, you know, every morning I take a walk for an hour. Right. Um, I'm musical. I, I write. You want someone with a full life that also knows how, it's really self-care. How do you take care of yourself, especially right now? Yeah, how do you maintain that balance and how does that balance center you and how are you better as a result of that? This is where I, I think all, all those long years of Catholic school education that, you know, all of those, those guilt-written things that we did uh, as youngsters, how do we take those things and build that adversity into a positive? How do we make it better and use those challenges and we're not just racked by negativity and guilt and these types of things, how are we positive about what is the future holds and how we can build those skills? Totally. Great. That's great. Anything else you'd like uh, to add? Maybe for somebody who says, you know what, now's the time for me to start a new venture. You have to obviously start slow, methodical, have a plan, but any advice on that? I mean, I would say nothing much has changed except for the fact that there may be a little bit less money on the street, at least in the short term. Uh, but, you know, the same basic principles apply. If, if you have an idea, you've got to showcase why this adds value to planet Earth, but also why there's going to be ROI. So you have to be thinking, how is the market going to react to this new venture, given the changing situation? How do I convince uh, venture capital or, or a bank to provide me the money, to, you know, regardless? 
got to be thinking about how the current situation affects your product and not now, but actually also another three years from now. What is, what, can you see the future that well to be able to, to tell somebody else, I've got this and here's why? Sure. I, I think one thing to pay attention to is, is uh, your passions, what you love, what you know, what motivates you. Everyone is getting packages from Amazon. What is it about Amazon's model that works? Or what is it about what they're not doing well that you can provide? Buy what you know, if you're gonna invest in yourself, that which is guiding your life every day. I think that's a really important kind of self-awareness. Buy what you know and what you like. If that's McDonald's, if that's Amazon, whatever it is, go with what you know best, at least as a start. See what works for them and what doesn't work for them. I always bring up the example, a friend of mine started a cake delivery business. Mm, Never been busier. That's yeah. right. Sure. And you should expect there's going to be a lot of food and beverage delivery businesses that are going to spring up out of this and then that will filter yeah. uh, at some point. But that, that's something right now, it feels like that there's a lot of potential opportunity in logistics, especially if people are going to continue to both work and be somewhat tied to their home. Uh, otherwise, because they're not, they're still reticent to go out. It, there, you, you'll probably see a lot of small businesses spring up around an array of potential delivery options. And what you think of right now is, uh, non-obvious ways. Sure. I, yeah, I think you have to think about your passions and, and how those passions really build into that which you believe and how well you can do with that. It, it's easy to get down. It's easy to get into the cycle of negativity. And that's what's important is be solution oriented and take those challenges and really build upon a skill set that can differentiate you. You have to do that. I, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future. American institutions are strong, whether those are in business and society, whether those are in politics. It's divisive and hard, but hard makes us better. That's an important challenge. Definitely. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you? Mm. We'll start with you, Robert. Oh, uh, well, it's Sonoma State's website. You can find out about me on the academic side for sure. Otherwise, I do a lot of economic consulting. So economic forensics, or I should say, wait, econforensics.com. My consultancy is called Economic Forensics and Analytics, but it's econforensics, all one word, .com. Okay. What about you, David? Uh, David McEwen, M-C-C-U-A-N. Just Google me. I'm sure I've said something that's upset someone. I would love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both so much. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Mm -hmm.